Scott Archer, pastor of Central Congregational Church in La Mesa, California. Thank you so much for tuning into our Sunday service podcast, CCC Sunday Messages. I hope you find the messages both challenging and encouraging as you seek to know and follow Jesus in your daily life. If you live in or ever happen to visit the San Diego area, we would love to have you join us for worship and fellowship. For location, service times, and other information about our church, please visit our website at cccLamesa.com. CCC is a small but passionate intergenerational church working together for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors near and far. Well, we have uh, moved past Palm Sunday. We have moved past Easter through this uh, time of quarantine. And uh, now we are going to continue to move forward in the weeks ahead. And literally, God only knows how long this is going to be and what lies ahead. Uh, So it's so important that we just continue to press in to him in prayer and in his word. And so let's do that together this morning. Uh, Turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, as we look at verses 12 through 33, continuing our series uh, through the Gospel of Mark entitled, Getting In on God's Good News, reminding ourselves that even in a time of pandemic, there is good news for us uh, through, uh, from God through Jesus Christ. The title of this message in this passage is called, The End of Religion as We Know It. The End of, the relig- of Religion as We Know It. You might remember the song from back in the 80s, I think, The End of the World as We Know It, but the uh, title of today is The End of Religion as We Know It, as we... Uh, Pick up the passage now right after the passage we uh, looked at on Palm Sunday was uh, what we call the triumphal entry. Jesus has made his way from northern Israel down uh, to southern Israel and uh, into the city of Jerusalem. Actually, he's staying just outside the city and going back and forth each day. Um, And uh, we're going to come to this passage. uh, Basically, it's like the day after the triumphal entry. And this uh, is a really key passage uh, in the Gospel of Mark, and I think there's something really powerful and important for us, so hope we can receive it. Um, and I think it's important in this time of quarantine, this time of pandemic, uh, this time when so many of the foundations of our daily lives, uh, what we count on, our routines, our uh, what gives us a sense of security, what gives us a sense of purpose. All of those things have been shaken. Some of them have been completely removed. Uh, Now, I know there's some of you that are still working full-time, and uh, other than maybe having to wear masks and gloves, uh, maybe your daily routine hasn't been uh, uh, changed that much, except that we don't have much freedom to go anywhere else other than work. But it really is a time that has it's shaken our foundations. It's causing us, I think, at least it is me, to ask ourselves what really is essential in life. In fact, supposedly only essential businesses are open. Uh, I'm sure you've noticed a few places where you're like, I'm not so sure what's essential about this place or that place. I won't name them right now. But it, it, it also causes us to think about what is, what is really essential in my life? What do I really need? What's really important? Uh, and and a converse, or, uh, concurrently, it might be a, uh, causing us to ask, what or who are we really relying on in our lives? Where do we find a sense of security, a sense of support? Uh, is it in ourselves? It is, is it in our work? Is it in the government? Uh, uh, is it in God? Uh, is it in religion? Where, where, 
Where are those things in our life? Where are sort of the pillars of the foundation of our lives? And it's... Um, it also causes us to reconsider, I think, or I would hope it causes us to reconsider our faith. Um, what's essential in our faith? Uh, what, I think it causes us to come to the surface. What is, what is genuine faith? What is really of faith, a real relationship with God? And what is just religious sentiment, um, religious practice? And that's really what's going to come to the forefront in this passage this morning. Um, and as we get into this passage, and as we've seen through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has had these conflicts with the religious leaders of his day. Um, and, uh, and, and as we come to this passage, as Jesus goes into the temple, uh, all of those conflicts come to an, a climax, uh, and this becomes the time when the Pharisees, the religious leaders, finally decide this man has to die. Um, and it's all around the conflict between Jesus' message of the good news, this good news that Mark wants us to get into, versus the traditional Jewish religious establishment centered around the temple. And uh, so we're going to look at that for a minute. So let's read the passage together, if you have your Bible there, starting at verse 12 of Mark chapter 11. It says, The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one, eat, no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And he taught them, and as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they were going back into the city. As they went along, they saw the fig tree that uh, withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain... Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Then they arrived in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, Remember, this is just the day after he uh, went in and flipped all the tables. While he was walking in the uh, temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you the authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. Now remember, Jesus was baptized by John. We saw that at the beginning of um, 
Mark's gospel, and that's also where after he was baptized, says the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove, and the voice from heaven said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. So they want to know what is, where his authority is from, and he says, uh, I'll tell you where my authority is from if you answer this question. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They, the religious leaders, discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask then, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, well, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. So let's look at this passage together for a moment. The central thought is this. We get in on the good news when we stop hiding behind religion with all of its trappings and false securities and step into the light of God's love and authority in Jesus, submitting to him as he calls us to follow him in a life of genuine faith and faithfulness. Let me read it one more time. We get in on the good news when we stop hiding behind religion with all its trappings and false securities and step into the light of God's love and authority in Jesus, submitting to him as he calls us to follow him into a life of genuine faith and faithfulness. So there's a really interesting thing in this passage, and it's caused some people, uh, or a lot of people throughout the years of studying the Bible, some concern Uh, They feel like Jesus is picking unfairly on this fig fig tree. Uh, He walks up. It says he's hungry in his humanity. He's hungry, and he looks at the tree, and it's in full leaf. It's beautiful. Um, uh, And he's hungry, so he goes to look for figs, but there aren't any. But the passage tells us that it's not the season for figs. There's not supposed to be any figs on it yet. Nonetheless, Jesus curses it and says, may nobody ever eat fruit from you again. So that's the opening passage. And then we have the passage about uh, causing all the ruckus in the temple. And then right after that, we have the rest of the story about the fig tree, where they are coming back into Israel. And Peter says, hey, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered from the roots up. Um, And it seems people have said, well, it's just unfair. Jesus is being petulant just because he was hungry and he didn't get what he wanted. Um, I think anybody that would read the life and teaching of Jesus would understand that's not the case. This, uh, Mark has put these stories together purposely in this fashion. It's like a sandwich. The beginning of the fig tree story, the the story of of Jesus turning over the tables in the temple, and then the rest of the fig tree uh, story. And uh, it's it's about the tree, and it's about the temple, and it's a living parable. Jesus is acting out a teaching. And he's... The fig tree represents the religious establishment. And, um, and so it's about the fig tree and the temple. And the first thing I want to point out here in regard to this is that the lush leaves of religion easily hide the absence of godly fruit in our lives. The lush leaves of religion easily hide the absence of godly fruit in our lives. When Jesus goes into the temple after finding no fruit on the fig tree, he begins to disrupt the normal operation of the temple. Oftentimes this passage is preached that Jesus is flipping over the tables and doing all of this stuff because uh, 
they're, the people buying and selling, or the sellers, are cheating people. And, and uh, they're, they're, uh, they're trying to use the, the fact that people have to come there and buy their, their goats and their doves for the sacrifices, and they're charging more than they should and all that stuff. That was probably going on, and I'm sure Jesus was not happy <clears throat> about that. But what really is going on here is Jesus is actually disrupting the normal part of the temple. People had to come to Jerusalem, to the city and to the temple, faithful Jews, multiple times a year. And they, when they came, they would have to buy various types of sacrifices. They would have to, first of all, change money from their money to temple money and then make these sacrifices. And by the time, in G, by the time we get to Jesus' uh, time, uh, the temple uh, had become come a place, instead of a place that was supposed to be a beacon of light of God's goodness and, and the, sort of the symbolic connection place between heaven and earth, radiating out from the Jews to the whole world, uh, instead it had become a place of political identity separating the Jews from the Romans who were oppressing them and all other Gentiles. And there was a place in the temple called the Court of the Gentiles. It was the, most, it was the largest opening uh, courtyard, and it was, that was the farthest that any non-Jew could go. And, um, and there were all sorts of separations of who could be where, and, who, and then there was the Court of the Women. That was the only the farthest the women could go. And Jesus comes in, and he begins to disrupt this. He, he turns over these tables, and he's not just judging them for unfair practices. He is judging the entire religious establishment. And he's actually doing it in, authoritative, in an authoritative manner, demonstrating that he has authority over the temple. And actually, what we're going to see is that it's the time where the where temple worship ends and Jesus replaces the temple. And so, just like the fig tree has all these beautiful leaves, but there's no fruit, by the time Jesus gets to the temple, it's a beautiful temple, and there's all this religious activity going on, but there's, not, but there's no real faith, or very little real faith, and, a real, and real desire for God in it. The lush leaves of religion easily hide the fruitlessness of our faith. And secondly, uh, secondly, religion itself easily becomes a place of hiding from God, ourselves, and others. Jesus says that my Father's house, don't you know that my Father's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations, not just the Jews? The temple was never meant to be uh, a political identifier that in a, in a negative way separated them from the rest of the world. And he said, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, a den of robbers is not where the robbers go to steal. It's where the robbers go to hide so that their works, their, their illegal works are not seen. And basically what God, what Jesus is saying is you've got all this religious trappings. You've got all these things you're doing. But outside this temple, you're living your lives the way you want. You're extorting one another. You're abusing one another. You're, you're, doing, you're living life your own way. And so he says, my, house should be, my father's house should be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den, a hiding place for robbers. Thinking that just because you're, doing, you're at the temple and you're doing religious things, you're okay. 
that God, you're okay with God and God's okay with you. And Jesus in his righteous indignation is flipping over their tables and saying that is absolutely not the case. And I am here as God's primary supreme authority to reestablish the true reign of God. In Matthew chapter 23, Matthew, uh, one of the original followers of Jesus, quotes Jesus as saying this to the religious leaders, the religious establishment. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, you which look beautiful on the outside, but, are on, the, but on the inside are full of bone, the bones of the dead and everything unclean. It's a little more stark example than the beautiful fig tree that doesn't have any fruit. Now he says you're even like tombs. They're really pretty on the outside, but there's nothing beautiful or good inside of them. We can so easily get lost in religious trappings, and we, can, we, can, uh, we have a beautiful sanctuary here, and we do things that make us feel good in our songs and our rituals. And, uh, and we can think that because we're doing those on a regular basis, that that makes us good with God. And Jesus is saying, hold on, that's not the case. And then also we can, and we can live our lives whatever way we want, Monday through Saturday, and think because we've come on Sunday or we've done these religious things that we're okay. And again, Jesus is saying that's not the case. And we need to hear these hard words from Jesus and we need to allow God to examine us. Are our lives like whitewashed tombs or uh, leafy fig trees, no fruit and full of dead men's bones. Now, I'm sure some of you have noticed this morning, especially after the last two Sundays, uh, that I'm dressed differently. <laughs> um, I'm dressed down, as one would say. Uh, I've got jeans and a, just a polo shirt on. And uh, I know some of you, this has been bothering you the whole, whole time you've been watching this. Uh, I know one person that's especially been bothering is my mother. Uh, my mother, Sharon Archer, I know she's watching this. And, uh, and I know this whole time she's thinking, son, what are you doing? She was so impressed with how good I looked in my nice blue suit last Sunday on Easter Sunday. Um, but there's method to my madness. I did this on purpose because I knew that it would disrupt some of you and make it hard for some of you. Because we, we, had, we uh, put importance on the way we dress, and especially on the way the minister dresses sometimes uh, when we gather together. And I wanted to dress down and not do this, sun, this Sunday to force us to think about the fact or to consider whether or not we're letting the religious trappings of our lives keep us from really being aware of God's presence and power. Now, there's nothing wrong with dressing up and, and sort of the idea when we come to church, you know, we're going to meet with God and we want to put on our best for him. And I, I get that. So I'm, this is just an object lesson. Don't worry, I'm not going to start showing up in shorts and flip-flops. But I do think it's important that we consider, if you are a little concerned about the way I'm dressed this, this morning, to ask yourself why. Uh, if... Um, to think about the other things that might cause you discomfort. Well, that's not the way we do it at church, or that's, that's not the way my religion does this. And can, we, and can we let Jesus confront us today uh, with who he is and, and recognize that he is calling us to himself to follow him, not a religion. So religion can be a place of hiding, 
uh, it can be a place uh, that, that actually, instead of helping us, actually fools us into thinking that everything is okay between us and God and his purposes for us and the world. And we need to see that Jesus calls us out of that hiding into a vibrant faith and vulnerable relationships. When they're going back into the city the next day, uh, Peter looks at the tree and says, hey, the tree's withered. And Jesus says, hey, if you have faith in God, you can pray and you can say to this mountain. Now notice he says this mountain, not any mountain. He's talking about what's called Mount Zion. That's the mount, the hill that the temple is on. He says, you, if, if you have enough faith, you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. He's basically saying, if you have genuine faith in God, you, can get, you don't need religion. You don't need all these trappings. Now, now, the religious things that we do, gathering for church and singing the hymns and reciting prayers, those can be helpful as long as they are genuinely elevating our sights toward God and our hearts to follow Jesus. But again, they can just as easily be a barrier to faith. And the disciples and every good Jew of Jesus' day would have thought, the only way I can sacrifice to God, the only way I can seek forgiveness from God, the, the time that God really hears my prayer is when I'm in Jerusalem in the temple. And Jesus is basically saying, it's a new day. And if you just have genuine faith that God really is God and he is really good and he's for you, you can, just, you can remove this whole temple mount and it sa- he says, you, if you believe, you can ask for anything. And we know from other passages, anything within his will and the name of Jesus, and it'll be done for you. You don't need somebody else. You don't need religious trappings. Jesus is calling us out of religion into vibrant faith, but also into vulnerable relationships. He says, and as you're praying, if you have anything against your brother or sister, Forgive them so that God will forgive you. We can't pretend, we can't come before God in all of our religious trappings and be purposefully or or, uh, consciously uh, in broken relationship with the people around us, holding unforgiveness and bitterness in our heart and think we're okay. God calls us through Christ to something better. We need to be reminded of in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, and the other Gospels as well, when Jesus is confronted by the, another religious leader, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And it's the, it's the verse that we get our, our church mission statement from. Jesus says the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it or equal to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. If our religious activity isn't causing us to be better lovers of God, which is demonstrated by how we love one another, then it's worthless religion, and Jesus is going to come in and tip over the tables of our lives. He's calling us out of religious hiding and into vibrant faith and vulnerable relationship. That word vulnerable has to do with being weak and, uh, uh, yeah, not being afraid to show weakness and recognizing that we're all broken people and we need to give and receive forgiveness and love to one another. So, that was, so Jesus is using this living parable with the fig tree and the temple and, and we walk through that. But then this passage ends um, 
this day after Jesus has tipped over the, the tables and all of this, he's back in the temple and he's walking around the courtyard and now the, the religious leaders, the religious establishment comes at him hot and heavy and says, stop it right there, mister. You need to tell us by whose authority you're doing these things. What gives you the right to come into this sacred place and do what you did? If you're a religious person, if you're one of these people of the day, it's a fair question. What we need to see in this is it's all about authority. It's all about God's authority through Jesus Christ. Jesus' authority, which was affirmed by God at his baptism, it was affirmed through his teaching, through his miracles, and and it will ultimately be uh, confirmed through his resurrection, which hasn't happened yet in this where we are, but but through his uh, baptism, Many, many people there were at that baptism, some of these religious leaders, and they saw the dove and they heard the voice of God saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. These religious leaders had seen him do miracles that no one could deny, even raising the dead. And they'd heard his teaching and they knew that it was teaching like no one had ever heard before. So the authority of Jesus that's affirmed by all these things is not something to be accepted or rejected, excuse me, it is something to be either accepted or rejected, but not challenged. They come to Jesus to challenge him. Hey, who gave you the authority to do this? And Jesus turns it right back on him and says, well, I'll tell you who gave me the authority if you answer one question. And he takes him all the way back to John's baptism. And he says, was John's baptism from from God or not? You answer that question and I'll tell you by whose authority. And basically saying, you know, he's saying, you know whose authority. You've seen, you, you were at my baptism and you've seen what I've done. And he won't play their game. God is not beholden to us. He doesn't just do tricks for us to, uh, to make us feel better. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about the proclamation that God has, in Christ has intervened into human history in a unique way and has made himself available to you and to me. And the time of the temple, the time of the law, all of that is over. And Jesus is now the ultimate authority of God uh, at that time on on the earth and now uh, through his spirit in the whole universe. First Peter, Peter in his letter, chapter uh, 3, verse 21, he's talking about uh, Noah and the ark and and the... the flood and it, as how it symbolizes baptism. And he says this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. But it's not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now listen to what it says, what Peter says about Jesus. Peter who denied Jesus, uh, who ran away when Jesus needed him most, but then was reinstated says this about Jesus, that he has gone into heaven, that he right now is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Jesus said before he ascended to heaven in the end of Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, as he, sent, as he commissioned the disciples to go share the good news with the rest of the world, he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me so now go. That is so important. And so we see this clash in, with the temple and this idea of authority. This is the key moment. 
Jesus is, is showing himself to be greater than the temple. And he's calling us not to religion, but he's calling us to follow him in genuine faith and faithfulness. Again, doesn't mean we don't come to church. It doesn't mean we can't build nice buildings and sing songs and pray prayers. But we have to be so careful that those things don't become a barrier to real faith and don't become a place of hiding. Finally, I want to jump back up to the the part of the passage just before this and talk about the fact that when we follow Jesus, genuinely follow him and submit to him, we become actually become channels of his loving authority on this earth. Jesus says that, therefore, this is verse 24 of Mark 11, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. In another place, when he commissions the disciples, he says, um, he says in John chapter 20, verse 21, it says, he says, uh, this is after his resurrection, he appears to the disciples and he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. We are now the representatives of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, we are Christ's ambassadors. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And now listen to this in verse 23 of John 20. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Think about that for a minute. What? How can I forgive somebody's sins? Well, you and I and ourselves, we can't forgive or not forgive anybody uh, from a godly point. I mean, we can obviously, if somebody offends us, we can say, hey man, it's no problem, I forgive you. But Jesus is saying that, this passage is helping us understand that Jesus is the ultimate authority. And he is calling us to a vibrant faith and and a walk of true faithfulness. And when we do that, it's not just about our salvation, but it's about entering into the life of Christ by his, the power of his Holy Spirit in us, and we actually share in and help communicate the authority of God on the world today. Now, that's not the, it's not political authority. It's not authority to tell people what to do. It's an authority to be able to speak the word of God and to speak life and to offer forgiveness when we see genuine repentance, and to not offer it like Jesus wouldn't offer it at the temple when we see people just puffing themselves up in false religion. Brothers and sisters, in this time of being locked down, in this time being shut away from the things we're familiar with, and especially the, uh, the church things that we're familiar with, I think it's a great opportunity for us to open our hearts up to God in a new way and say, Lord, is there any way that I have been playing church? Is there any way that I've been allowing the way I'm dressed, uh, the beautiful building that we meet in, the beautiful songs we sing, to hide the fact that there's no real fruit, there's no real spiritual fruit in my life, or very little? Is there any way that I'm actually hiding behind religion, thinking that I'm okay when there's things in my life that are very not okay? Brothers and sisters, God in his love wants to bring you out of the temple, out of religion, into a new and deeper, true relationship with himself. He wants that for you, and he wants that for me. Will we let him do that today so that 
from that place, we can enter into a life of greater Thank you so much, Kara. That was beautiful in this world. Uh, thank you for taking participating the time to be here and in the very for us. In the very authority of Jesus. As we close now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus world. Christ he loves and so the much. love this of God and the fellowship of the for Holy Christians Spirit be with you all. Uh, not Christians. I don't even want to use that word for Amen. Jesus followers who really do have a word of God from God, a word of love and a word of grace and a word of truth. That can be you and that can be me if we we'll, if we we'll get. It. Step away from religion uh, and keep following Jesus. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity in this time of isolation that we have the technical resources, technological resources to stay connected. We really are grateful for that. And Lord, I want to confess, uh, as I've preached this message that's been a bit of a strong message, I, of all the people I'm talking to, am the most religious person. I was born and raised in church. My dad was a pastor. Both my grandfathers were pastors. Uh, I've never not been a part of the religious establishment. So more than anybody, I am in danger of uh, having all the outward signs and no inward fruit, uh, of actually hiding behind all of this and not... Uh, and, a li- and having a life that's not really aligned with you. So I want to be the first one in line, Lord, to repent, to confess, to say, Lord, please show me any offensive way in me, anywhere where I'm relying on religion and not truly following you. And I pray that you'd help us all to just let go of the, the legalism, let go of the tradition when it's inappropriate, and just allow ourselves to be caught up in a new way to the wonderful, vibrant life of faith and faithfulness that you've called us to. Lord, if there's places where we're holding on to bitterness, we're holding on to uh, unforgiveness, any places of hurt, Lord, would you help us work that out and get free of that and speak words of forgiveness um, and let you do a work of healing in our lives. And Lord, I just pray again now that you would bless my brothers and sisters, keep everybody safe, uh, encourage uh, each one in you and help us to be Uh, agents of encouragement to this world that you love so much. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name.